We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. His late father was a Chicago mayor. He's been alderman of the 6th Ward since 2011, and now he's one of two city council members in a wide field of candidates vying to replace Lori Lightfoot as mayor of Chicago. Roderick Sawyer says he's the one with the knowledge, experience, and plans to do it right, and we're going to talk with him about all of that this weekend. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. My guest is Alderman Roderick Sawyer, among the eight candidates on the ballot trying to unseat incumbent Lori Lightfoot. He chairs the City Council's Committee on Health and Human Relations. He's been a chair of the Council's Black Caucus, and he's been involved in public service since he was a child. Now he's giving up his City Council seat in a bid for the city's top job after a tumultuous couple of years that might make almost anyone wonder why they'd want it. We'll find out. We're conducting this interview via Zoom conferencing, and Roderick Sawyer, welcome. Thank you for having me, Craig. Appreciate it. Oh, and we appreciate your uh, joining us. We're speaking this morning after the uh, rapid-fire debate at the ABC7 studios with Univision participating. Typical after these things, we reporters get news releases from almost all the candidates declaring themselves the winner and listing reasons why. Yours was not among them. Is it because you don't play that game or am I just not on all the right email lists? I don't play that game, Craig. Uh, you know, I'm about doing the work. I'm about making sure that the city is, is safe, making sure the city is prosperous. Uh, I spend my time and efforts on improving the city, not, you know, promoting myself. And that's probably one of my challenges that I have to work on. But this is me. I'm not going to change who I am. I'm not going to alter who I am. I'm the guy that's having, you know, giving you the real answers uh, and doing the real work every day on behalf of the city. Well, let's talk about how you think the debate went and, and what you want voters to take away from it. All right. Well, you know, the debate was fair. I think I, I was able to answer all the questions accurately within that 45 second time frame. Um, I want to make sure that people understand that with me, you know, you get a true servant of, of public service. I'm the person that will do the work. I'm the one that, you know, when you talk about closing mental health clinics, I visited the mental health clinics. So I knew what was wrong. When I brought it back to the city, the city responded by spending multiple times over what the last administration spent. When we talk about closing schools, I was there in the beginning. I was there at the very beginning. And the issue was not the issue with schools should be closed or not. It was a process. And the last administration failed on the process. So when people talk about these things in, in, in sound bites and taglines, 
uh, you know, really dive down and find out who was doing the work, who was there, who was involved. I was involved in every one of these things and more. And, and like, again, I say that, I'm, you know, when you talk about ideas and ideas, I put them into practice and I put them before the council. And I've been doing that my 12 years there and I can do it as mayor. Well, let's talk about being real, because you were the only candidate to uh, refuse to promise you would never raise taxes during your term. Uh, and, and you said you wanted to be real with voters. What does that say about the others? Well, you know what? I, I don't spend time wasting my time talking about other candidates. But what you'll get in me is a honest answer. Uh, you know, it's good in the soundbite. And I say, hey, we'll never raise taxes. We're going to lower taxes for everybody. You know, I follow the data. You know, I, I, I'm a pretty smart guy, but I am not the smartest guy. And I will retain and, 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 and get, see counsel from the smartest people in the financial arenas that let me know what is prudent and what is proper. Proper planning includes proper tax planning as well. You know, when, you're, when your salaries go up, your taxes go up. You know, so when your costs go up, sometimes it may be, it may be a requirement sometimes that taxes might moderately rise in certain areas. I will do my best every day to make sure that if, you know, to avoid raising taxes, but I will follow the data and I will follow people that are professionals that would advise me about the proper thing to do. And I will take that advice and make sure the council understands the reasoning for that. And that's my superpower. I can talk to the council, I can collaborate, and I think I can get the message across why it's important. And let's talk about some of those issues. Obviously, the big one uh, in that debate, and frankly, the big one in the campaign, mm -hmm. uh, has been crime. Yes. Um, every candidate who's running, except, of course, the incumbents, say they, they would get a new police superintendent. Yes. But what are the most pressing changes that need to be made besides who is running the department? And, and, and is there anything CPD is doing well right now? You know, I support my police officers every single day. I want to make sure they have the resources necessary to do their jobs effectively. But, you know, I also understand that we're under a consent decree and we have to be compliant on a variety of things. So I want them to be constitutionally sound, make sure that they're doing work uh, pursuant to that, but also be effective. I want them to catch bad guys. I want them to be out there and have those resources necessary. Sometimes because of that, uh, they get pulled in too many directions. Uh, really quickly, 911 calls. We should have auxiliary officers or some other people respond to the calls if they are not in imminent danger. If a, if a person's not in imminent danger, someone else can respond to those calls, get the pertinent information from those individuals, get it to the police while they're in the streets so that they can get that information in real time and help apprehend the offenders. Uh, also, we wanna make sure that they're healthy, particularly in the mental health space. One of the saddest things I've seen right now, Craig, is that uh, so many officers are, 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 are choosing to commit suicide um, you know, in response to the pressures that they receive on the job. We need to make sure that they have the adequate mental health uh, support and uh, staffing. Uh, so make sure that they continue to be healthy. And one other thing I think is important for the health of our police officers is a real viable pension plan. My pension plan is uh, at 55 and 20 years, I get a full pension. Why shouldn't that also be for the police? I've, I've given this information to a tax specialist. I'm trying to get it cost out to make sure that I'm, I'm making sure that I can make a financially sound decision. But I think uh, from my standpoint, this is extremely important for the officer's well-being and to circulate, constantly circulating new officers and new technology and new information 
into the department to make it efficient and effective. What more could the city uh, even and this administration do about hiring more police officers? It seems that not as many people want to be police officers these days, not as many people from the communities that need officers that look like them want to be police officers. That is a challenge, Craig. And, you know, we have to, to, to bridge that divide. We have to make sure, and again, part of what I was talking about previously may consider newer officers to want to come on the job. You know, they, they, they don't think that the job is, is fulfilling. Even those that used to want to be police when they were children are kind of looking at it side-eyed right now to say, hey, maybe this is not where I want to be. And, and they're leaving them. They're going other places to be in law enforcement, but not here. So we have to make sure that our department is a department that's effective, that takes care of their employees, which are their officers, and, and give them the resources necessary to do their jobs effectively. And I think once people see that and that, and that we can reestablish trust, which I'm very proud to say that I was the architect of the community police relations. Uh, now we have the community commissions that will be voting on the next election. Uh, so we can reestablish that, that bond between the community and the police. And I think once people see that and see that we're all working together once again, then we'll start getting uh, more applicants on the police department, particularly those of color, you know, particularly in the black areas where we were really trying to get officers. Uh, we, I stood on the street, again, like I said, I stood on 79th Street handing out pamphlets trying to get young people to become police officers, and it is a challenge. Uh, how encouraged are you about the new process of the community advisory uh, councils and frankly, the, the citywide one. Uh, do you think that's going to be the kind of oversight that people were really calling for for the last, well, 20 years maybe? Well, Craig, I, I, am, I am proud to say that I've been working on this and I was a lead sponsor for the, for the last seven years. I'm continuing to work on it with the new, a new executive director, the new chairman and, and the board. Uh, I am hopeful that this is the, the device that's necessary that will transform our, our city, quite honestly, uh, to having a new type of relationship with our police officers and the police officers with our community. You know, we need that, that back and forth, that information that residents will have that will help us solve crimes. You know, we always talk about our clearance rate, you know, not being high enough. Part of that problem is people know who, who, who the offenders are. You know, they're choosing not to give the information to the police because they don't feel safe in, in relaying that information. I have proposed an ordinance. I have it in council right now in my gun violence prevention ordinance, which is the second time I filed it, um, also having a provision for witness protection. So, you know, we need to make sure that people feel safe when they're giving us information. And all this is part of this whole collaboration on reestablishing this bond between the community and the police. It has to happen for us uh, have an, an effective police force. And I know one of the things you talked about during the debate was what I, I guess I would call true community policing. And that is you were talking about having the same officers on the same streets every day. And that's not something that's happening as much as it perhaps should now. And it should. Uh, an officer told, uh, informed me, gave me this advice. And again, you know, I, I like to think I'm smart, but that's a whole lot of other people smarter than me. I was talking to a, a former officer, a former police executive, and he gave me the term geographic uh, integrity. So it's a little, it's slightly different from beat integrity, but it's the same concept. You have officers that are committed to an area and then they become familiar with that area. When they become familiar with that area, you know, the, and when you see the same people every day, you see the uh, business people, you see vendors, you see community people, 
They know the officer. Hey, that's Officer Joe. Hey, Joe, how you doing? They may even have his number. So if something happens, they know who the good guys are. They know who the bad guys are because they're around the same area from day to day. This is what we need in our, in our new policing strategy because that familiarity will make sure that people feel safer. They'll feel more comfortable in giving them information and then we can help uh, you know, make sure that our clearance rates are higher then uh, we bound people over for trial, but we have to do more. And this is one of the things that the police and the community can work together on. If the officers stay there on a consistent basis, I think that people will feel a little calmer, a little safer, and they can reduce some of that anxiety that they have right now. Um, I want to get your thoughts on the kind of violence that we're seeing uh, these days, because that seems its own problem, its own issue, yes. uh, where you know, young people are ready to kill over a social media post and spray a crowd with automatic weapons fire just mm -hmm. because one person that they don't like is in that crowd. Uh, how do we address that dimension of the problem? Well, you know, one of the items, the, one of the ways we address this, uh, Craig, is why don't we ask youth? I mean, it may sound simplistic, but if, if most of our violence right now is youth driven, why don't we start looking at some youth solutions? Uh, I'm proud to say that I've, I've uh, filed uh, and, and a key sponsor uh, with the Good Kids Mad Cities Peace Book Ordinance, for example. I did not write this ordinance. These young men and women wrote this ordinance. I was just uh, been pleasure to sponsor it on their behalf. Let's look at some of their ideas on how to reduce violence. They acknowledge the violence and they know that something needs to happen and they want to take it from the advantage of a youth perspective. We have all these conversations all the time about violence and you know, I've never seen uh, you know, to any great degree any young people involved in this conversation. We're talking at them instead of talking with them. So let's change that and let's put them in place uh, these are our next young leaders. We need to start putting them in place now so that they can inform us on how to solve this youth violence issue. One other uh, issue in the crime realm, uh, what can be done better about safety on the CTA? You know, uh, safety on the CTA, we really need to return to more uniformed officers on the CTA. I, I think that that's where we need to be. I think we can improve on our, our digital safety with cameras and, and, and other devices on the platforms and on trains and buses. I think we're doing a pretty good job at that. We can do better. We want to have more of that there. And, and really, we, we want to be present. You know, you want positive activity on these rail lines. Uh, one of the things I talk about is not directly crime related, uh, but, but I think it is safety related. We don't have, at least on the south and west sides, I don't believe, we don't have activity on our rail lines in particular. When I talk about economic activity, when you have economic activity, when it's busy, when it's vibrant, you know, it's less intensity for crime, you know, because too many people are around, you know, when people are spending money and, and buying things going to and from work, uh, every rail yard should have, every rail stop rather, should be an economic engine for this city and generate sales tax dollars. And when you do that, we'll get the responses, we'll get the security and measures there, we'll have more police there, because people are there making money because it, it is adding to the bottom lines of our coffers by way of sales taxes. And that's an additional way to increase the safety, uh, increase the vibrancy and the activity on our lines. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm Craig Delamore. My guest is Alderman Roderick Sawyer, who is a candidate for mayor of Chicago, among other things. Uh, 
Let's talk about something else that is kind of tied to the crime problem, but is its own issue, and that is mental health. And we touched on it, you touched on it a little bit earlier, but uh, let's talk about what more can be done uh, with mental health. Sure. Um, I was in the council when the last administration closed a couple of mental, uh, half of the mental health clinics. Uh, and I, I, I acknowledge that I did vote for it. And I, I was, even back then, right after I voted for it, I acknowledged publicly that that was the one vote that I would wish, wish I could have taken away. But moving forward, as I became the uh, chairman of the health committee, the first thing I did because of this, because of this issue, I went and visited all the mental health clinics that we, we operate. And I will tell you what I found out, Craig. They were woefully under, uh, underutilized, rather. They were properly staffed, but they were underutilized. Every one that I went to, I hardly saw any patients there at any one of the sites. One of the gentlemen that were there, he was there, he's been there over 40 years. He said no elected official has ever visited them ever. So when people, again, talking about we need to reopen the mental health clinics, let's first understand the problem. The problem was that they were underutilized, and that might have been the city's fault uh, years gone by because we weren't advertising that they even existed. You know, we weren't letting people know that we have free health service that's offered by the city. And when I gave a report back to Dr. Arwadi and his, her staff about what I noticed when I visited the clinics, I, you know what, quite honestly, I think they responded. The couple of things that I noticed that they were underutilized, they didn't offer hours for people that worked, so they weren't late hours, and they did not serve children. Fast forward to today, they're doing all those things. They're added hours, they've added staff, now they have promotional activities, and they are also treating children. So I think part of what I did and let people know about what I did to the administration caused a change in, in the investments in mental health as far as the city is concerned. So I think that I added some value there by my work, again, by my work that I was doing day to day, not advertising, not publicizing it, but really being a part of it. How much of it do you also think uh, has to do with changing or, or getting rid of the stigma of, uh, of mental health uh, problems and people getting treatment? Because it was the kind of thing that was not as often talked about within the community as it might have been. Uh, one of the things I think that we're doing now is using the word behavioral health, you know, to, to try to reduce the stigma on that, on that, you know, and it's, and it's health, it's, but the, the bottom line is it's health. You know, we all go through moments, we all have issues, uh, you know, now that the stigma's kind of been removed, and I think that more people are being honest about it and, and seeking help. You know, the opposite side of that is, one of the other problems that we're having is a shortage of therapists and psychologists and psychiatrists because it is such a popular issue now. We're having problems hiring because we're not paying a competitive enough wage. Um, even the, you know, even the students that used to not get a job are getting jobs now because of the shortage of, of available uh, therapists in the country, quite honestly, not just here in Chicago. So it is a challenge on the other side now that it's, the stigma is being removed and more people are seeking service. It's becoming a bit more of a challenge for us to get uh, adequate therapists uh, in our health centers and quite honestly in our police districts. You know that we're trying to get one for East Police District and it's a trouble trying to attract the talent. So these people have to understand these types of things when we talk about them, you know, so because we're, you know, we're working these every day. I'm working on it every day uh, when people just, you know, raise signs up and say, 
a do this, you know, we're, we're doing it, but it is a bit of a challenge. Indeed. Uh, they don't give out magic wands here at City Hall. I wish they did. I'll be the first to buy one, Craig. <laughs> well, let's talk about another challenge that's facing the city right now, and that's the influx of migrants coming to Chicago. Um, what more or what differently should the city be doing uh, uh, about that? The migrant situation is, is, is important because we want to make sure that those that are, that are coming to our city understand that we're here to help. But we also have to make sure that, that people here understand that we are so willing to help. So it's not, and it should not be an either or kind of situation. We want, we should be helping our migrants. Now, what we should have done in, in, in a couple of situations, and I've talked to two neighborhoods, one downtown in the Gold Coast and one in Woodlawn, they both felt that they should have got a little more notice and a little more engagement prior to the, the arrival of these individuals. And I, and I agree with them. They should have been more engagement, some more collaboration amongst them so they know what was going on, what we were doing, and, and also how it may even help the local citizenry there as far as additional resources. Uh, additionally, I thought the mayor would have been, a, it would have been a good move. And I, again, I'm, I'm just suggesting this. It would have been a good move to connect with the other mayors of welcoming cities in the surrounding area to make sure that we have all the resources necessary in a regional kind of collaboration to say that, okay, we can take you know, as many as we can, as many as we possibly can with the resources that we have. But I know that we have, I think, several hundred welcoming cities in across the United States. And I know there's several in the region. We could have reached out to some in, in, the, in the five state region, you know, Wisconsin, Indiana, Michigan, et cetera, and say, hey, help us out. You know, you all are also welcoming cities. Let's all do this together. Let's bring them up here and let's do what we can to help as many people as we can. And that's just a slight difference in I think what was happening right now. Uh, I also want to touch on uh, another especially important uh, thing for the future, and that's economic development. And Mayor Lightfoot says that there have been more than 300 pro-Chicago decisions that have been made over the last uh, couple of years or 18 months, and businesses are coming here. Um, from your perspective at, at the Hall, uh, does it feel like the tide has turned finally, or is there some funny math, fuzzy math going on? I don't think we've quite turned that corner yet. I mean, all you have to do, Craig, and I know you do it every day, walk downtown, you know, walk up and down LaSalle Street, Clark Street, you know, walk Randolph and Washington. You know, I'm, I'm concerned. I'm worried. Um, you know, when you see when you see staples like Walgreens closing and others, uh, you know, you can talk about a couple of big businesses, Kimberly Clark coming. That's great. Uh, Google coming. Fantastic. But, you know, but we lost Boeing. We lost a lot of other uh, Caterpillar. We lost a lot of big things. But more importantly, the small businesses, which is the backbone of Chicago, don't seem to be coming back to the extent that we would like. And that's what's troubling me. I think we need to make investments in these mom and pop businesses, in the hospitality industry in particular. Uh, these are our backbones. This is where we receive our money. This is the sales tax that runs the city, that makes us function. So if we don't support them and make investments in them. Now, I don't mean in the area of giveaways and, 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 and gifts, but real true investment in these industries so that we can prop them up until they're self-sustaining again, we are gonna, we're gonna have a problem and it, we're not, and as downtown particularly, in, which is our central business district, which is where the bulk of our funds come from, we have to prop that industry up in addition to propping it up in our neighborhoods 
uh, on the south and west side and north side as well. We want to make sure that we're showing that we're making the true investments for true economic development for the future of this city. Uh, do you feel that uh, the uh, initiative to revitalize the uh, LaSalle Street uh, corridor that includes uh, some ties to small business, do you think that's the kind of thing that you need to see more of? Um, you know, it, it's, it, it worries me. I'm going to be honest with you, Craig. I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm trying to be supportive and try to work with uh, you know, because I definitely want to work with our business community. I want to make sure that we're doing the right thing. But I'm not hearing a lot of positive attitudes toward this LaSalle Street uh, initiative. And I'm, I'm going to take a, continue to take a good look at it. But right now, I'm a bit of a skeptic. But then what kind of initiative should there be, whether it's downtown or in the neighborhoods that could get more businesses to want to locate, especially in the neighborhoods where you know we're still seeing some businesses pull out, even when it seems the neighborhoods want them. Well, you know uh, what I will say in the neighborhoods, it's it's really a different dynamic. It's an interesting dynamic. I, I did I did have a few businesses that failed, but you know I had businesses that do, have done record sales during the pandemic, particularly takeout businesses. They're doing business that they've never seen before. So we have to you know you know sometime adjust with the times. You know, I think these businesses that properly adjusted, you know, using the apps and using uh, uh, hailing services and really, be honest with you, takeout. I have I live right by the street from Limbs Barbecue. Limbs was always a popular place. I don't think it's ever been as popular as it has been during the pandemic. Lines down the street every day since the pandemic. I think they're doing record business. So we have to look at those types of models and see what they're doing to uh, to be successful. And, and, and incorporate that with others. So we have to do better. And sometimes we have to watch what others are doing and, and kind of replicate that. Sometimes you don't have to reinvent a wheel in order to make things work. I want to touch on one other area, and that is affordable housing. Um, because, uh, you've suggested that while big developers are giving given incentives to build affordable housing, uh, the units that they're building are not necessarily going where they could do the most good. Yes. And it's and, and it's costing a lot more for them to build them uh, that, you know, the city, what the city does, if, if a builder wants to build higher or wider or whatever, they give them what they call density bonuses. And those density bonuses go into a pot. And it's a really big pot of money uh, going toward for affordable housing. But one of the restrictions is sometimes that they have to build close to where their major developments are. And most of their major developments are in the downtown or near north area. So for them to build affordable housing in the near north area probably cost them two to three times more to build there than if you were to come to my neighborhood in Inglewood or come in my colleagues' areas in East Garfield Park or Lawndale, where we have an enormity of vacant lots, enormity of, of vacant buildings that we can rehabilitate to use for productive housing for a fraction of, of what they spend on, let's say, I'm just throwing in a street out Fulton Avenue, for example. You know, um, and then it just makes more sense for us to be, you know, build closer to the uh, transportation Build in a neighborhood where they may be more familiar with, uh, and that includes Pilsen, Little Village, Lawndale, uh, you name it. We have areas that have uh, space available, have property available at a reasonable price that they can build really nice units that are affordable and without uh, displacing anyone and making sure that they have the type of housing and amenities and, and comfort level. You know, if, you, if you're building affordable housing down in, on Fulton Market, where are you going to park your car? 
you know, I guess, you know, things, simple things like that. I think about long term, you know, you build it, that's nice. But, you know, how are people that are making $16 an hour going to live right next to someone in Fulton Market and be successful? But they can do that and work with others in my neighborhood, in Inglewood, or in my neighborhood in, in, in Park Manor, or in others' neighborhoods uh, throughout the city. Uh, do you think that that is going to bring more people back to the neighborhoods where, let's face it, African-American and Latino people have been moving out lately, and especially African-American? Yes, I want to make sure that we are doing what's necessary to get people back. And that includes doing somewhat of a promotional campaign. But we, you know, we, we want to make sure that we're on top of our, our safety issues first. Uh, that's probably first and foremost on everybody's mind. That's something we have to all tackle together. And once we're tackling that, we can tackle that in conjunction with making partnerships, maybe like with uh, World Business Chicago, which is our public-private partner, uh, to do an advertisement cam uh, campaign. It's something to show, you know, Chicago's status as a world-class city. This is a beautiful city, Craig. It's a wonderful place to be, wonderful place to live. We have some challenges, but we can get over those challenges and do it together and making sure that we're a strong, resilient city and, and doing all the things and, and showing the love of all 77 neighborhoods by directed focus investment in each one of them. That's how we get Chicago on top again. And that is going to be the final word. Thank you very much. That is Alderman Roderick Sawyer, candidate for mayor of Chicago. Thanks for spending the time with us. To our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website, wbbmnewsradio.com. There's a link on the homepage. You can also find our podcast on odyssey.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, 105.9 WBBM. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.